People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Hi everybody, I'm Mark Middleton and today we really have a twofer. Two amazing women who are making a difference in our culture one life at a time. They are certainly one of the most powerful sister-in-law teams in the entire country. Doro Bush Cook and Tricia Riley Cook, they are wellness advocates, kindness champions, founders of the co-mindfulness movement. Tricia is a nutritionist and health counselor. Doro is a New York Times bestselling author. And if the name Doro Bush sounds familiar, well, it's because it should. She's the only person in history that's the daughter of one U.S. president, 41, and the sister of another, 43. Doro and Tricia, how are you guys doing this afternoon? We're doing well. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here, Mark. Thanks for including us today. Well, you guys are big time. And, you know, to spend some time with us, we greatly appreciate that. I want to talk about co-mindfulness because this is really a tremendous contribution that you two have made to our culture. And I want everybody to know what it is and understand why it's important. But if I can, Doro, before we get there, you are a meditation expert. Can you share the story about how you got into mindfulness, really kind of as a way to deal with the stress of being part of a political family, because Lord knows there's more political stress these days than maybe ever. So can you share that with us? And would you lead us in a very short meditation to get us in the right frame of mind? I'd be so happy to. I'm the sister of the 43rd president and the daughter of the 41st president. And I spent most of my life on the campaign trail working for my dad early in the early 60s when he ran for the Senate originally and then the Congress and then president and he became vice president and then ran for president again and won. And then my brother, of course, was governor of Texas and then president. And then I have another brother who ran for governor and I have a nephew (laughs) ran for things, two nephews and on and on. And so a lot of my life was on the campaign trail. And it was honestly very stressful because for me, politics was personal. So when I would hear the media say something that I knew wasn't true, my mind would go crazy. You know, I knew at some point I had to find something to deal with the stress. So that's where the mindfulness came in. And for the last, I think, 20 some years of my life, I've been an advocate for mindfulness and meditation, and I've studied it, and I've guided people through it, and mainly because I know it's helped me so much. That's sort of it. If, as you said, Mark, if there were a time that we could use these tools, because they're really tools to help calm our minds, it's now. And so I'm happy to share a meditation with everyone. And this is sort of a breath relaxation meditation, and it's only three minutes. And really, that's all you need in your day is to take a pause, even just to take a deep breath. But if you can take a few minutes just to pause and stop and breathe, it can help you tremendously. So we're going to just sit comfortably with your arms, maybe in your lap. You can gently close your eyes. And I'm going to begin the meditation with, I have a little chime here. We'll begin the meditation with the ring of the chime, and we'll end the meditation with the ring of the chime. So here we go.
So we can begin the meditation by taking a few slow, deep breaths. Breathing in deeply through your nose and breathing out through your mouth in a thin stream of air, long and slow. And as we begin the meditation, set an intention to put down any thoughts of the past or the future. For right now, all you have to do is be here and relax. The rest can wait. You can feel your feet on the floor and the contact with the chair or cushion beneath you. Notice what it feels like there. Is it hard or soft? Can you sense pressure or heaviness? And in your own time, begin to notice the rhythm of your breathing. What lets you know that you're breathing? And where do you feel it? As you breathe in, you may notice sensations of swelling, lifting, or expanding. As you breathe out, you may have a sense of loosening, releasing, or letting go. You can let your awareness begin to synchronize with your breathing, paying a little more attention to that feeling of settling and relaxation on the out-breath. Just tune into the rhythmic sensations of your breathing. How we pay attention to the breath is really very important. If we relate to it with a sense of pressure, intensity, or force, the breath carries those qualities into the body, which begins to feel tight.
if we approach the breath with a sense of spaciousness, with a light and easy attention, it carries those qualities into the body, which begins to feel light, open, and spacious. So breathing in, receiving, being nourished, breathing out, relaxing, and letting go. And as this meditation comes to a close, you can bring your attention back to those simple, steady sensations of contact, your feet on the floor, your bottom on the chair or cushion. You can allow your eyes to open if they've been closed. And with a relaxed mind and body, we can begin our session together. Wow. Thank you, Doro. Mm, you're so welcome. Beautiful. It, it was beautiful. And it seems so simple, but yet it's so important. I mean, it's no longer just some sort of somebody, some new age, Eastern philosophy theory, you know, that it helps you. I think every health professional in the world says that doing this kind of thing every day is critically important. So I don't know what else I'm going to be able to say if someone asked me at the end of the day, what did you do today? But I will be able to say I was led in a meditation by Doro Bush Cook, and I greatly appreciate that. Trisha, let's let Doro take a second to get her energy back up because I think she has us all so relaxed. Tell us a little bit about co-mindfulness, because I think most of us know a little bit about mindfulness, you know, paying mm -hmm. attention to details, being in the moment. What is co-mindfulness and why are you guys so amped up on the power and importance of it? So co-mindfulness is something that Dora and I sort of in the past two years, maybe three years, started to formulate this idea of what would it mean to be co-mindful with someone else, like in relationships, because what's happening right now in the wellness movement, and Dora and I have been part of the wellness movement now probably over 20 years, doing all kinds of education seminars, conferences, podcasts, and that sort of thing. And one of the things that we didn't recognize as important to your wellness is relationships and your connection to other people. We always knew it was important, but we didn't know the science behind it. And sort of, as you were saying earlier, with mindfulness, I think some people used to just think it was new agey, something probably worked, but now there's tons and tons of science that says, this is important. It's really important for our mental well-being and for our physical well-being. Co-mindfulness came as a result of Doro and I talking to so many people and so many conversations, trying to figure out how do you become healthier in relationships? Because what we've learned is that good relationships help us live longer and healthier lives. And Doro and I will go on to tell you about those different sciences, but it's clear. It's really, really important to have healthy relationships. And how do you do that? You do that through compassion. So that's what co-mindfulness is. So it's being in the present moment with another person. 
So I think that's that's Doro. Are you bad, Doro? Are you yes? I'm bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So what else would you say about co-mindfulness? Well, I mean, one of the things we can do is sort of take you through our discovery about co-mindfulness and how we discovered the importance of relationships. So Tricia, why don't you start by talking about how important relationships really are? So like I said, you know, we've been doing this kind of work in forever. And loving talking about the importance of drinking water because you guys, everybody should be drinking water. And that's the way that we would talk to people about bio-individuality because each one of us are different, right? So for someone to say you need eight glasses of water is kind of silly because if one person runs a marathon today, they're going to need a little bit more than eight glasses of water. So identifying what you need. So we talk all about that and what you need to eat and the importance of exercising. You know, sitting is the new smoking, right? Everybody's heard that. We need to move because our bodies are made to move. But what we didn't talk about because there wasn't the science behind it was, again, what the role is of relationships and how that is sort of the big news right now. And that as wellness advocates, we feel that it's important that we talk about that. So that's really how co-mindfulness and the understanding of relationships became part of our conversations when we talk about health and wellness. Right. And we discovered a Harvard study which showed us that our social ties are a stronger predictor of how long we live and how happy we are than even our social class, IQ, or even our genes. And one of the incredible findings from the study is that how happy we are in our relationships at age 50 is a better predictor of our health at 80 years of Mm -hmm. age than our cholesterol levels are. What we found in that study to really be important is the quality of our relationships, not the quantity, is what keeps us healthy and living longer. And as we said a couple of years ago, when we started hearing about these different studies and these different behavioral scientists and sociologists and psychologists all looking at this, we were like blown away. Another person that is pretty awesome, she's a psychologist out at Brigham Young. She looked at studies involving over 300,000 people, and she found that people with strong social ties were not 20% likely to live longer, not 30% likely to live longer, but actually 50% longer. It was just unbelievable what they were finding. And her name is Julianne Holt Lundstad. She's awesome. The real epidemic that's underlying all of these diseases in our country is loneliness. And so, Tricia, talk a little bit about loneliness. Obviously, everybody, we're in this pandemic together, right? So there's some people being really affected by loneliness. And the sad news is it was an epidemic before this pandemic that we were having a loneliness and epidemic numbers. And Cigna Insurance Company, who's been one of our Great partners. Great partners. We've done a lot of work with them in the past, did a recent study. It was actually in 2018 and then again in 2020. And they found that three out of five Americans report feeling lonely on a regular basis. And what was extremely surprising and kind of shocking to us was that the generations that are most digitally connected are the ones who describe feeling the most isolated and alone. So that would be our younger generation. They're reporting that they are alone and feeling isolated, which is so scary. And one explanation Cigna came up with, and we agree, for America's loneliness epidemic is that it's a lack of social support and infrequent, meaningful social interactions that's making people feel really, really lonely. And not only feeling it, but like living it. 
Trisha, I hear totally what you say, that a lot of these young people who only communicate digitally are still lonely. The other side of that is what we're doing today would not right. be possible if it weren't for technology. And kudos for all of you out there who are here yes. today, because it's a great way to stay in touch and stay connected and learn some great information. And you're so right about this pandemic and the epidemic of loneliness. And, you know, there's been multiple surveys that have come out that say the loneliness now leads to depression and stress-related anxiety. and mm. It all points back to you two, not the cause of it, but the solution to it. You know, it's mindfulness to deal with the stress and the anxiety. There's so many things about loneliness that we don't really know. And one of them is how it affects our physical health. It's important for people to understand that loneliness isn't just emotionally painful. It's also quite dangerous to our health. The same person that Trisha was talking about the psychologist who did the other study that she mentioned did a meta-analysis of 70 studies representing millions, I think something like 3.4 million people. And she found that loneliness increases the chance of a premature death, at least as much as obesity, smoking, yeah. and alcoholism does. So all these studies are pointing to Real problems, including it increases our stress hormone cortisol, which is associated with higher blood pressure and decreased resistance to infection and increased risk of cardiovascular disease and right. cancer and da-da-da-da-da. What Julianne's found it too is that this feeling of loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes yeah. a day. We thought that was pretty crazy. And not only is it all about that, but it's also about the cognitive functioning. Mm -hmm. So you're finding now that loneliness is actually really affecting the brains and that it's actually one of the biggest causes of Alzheimer's disease. And there's many studies that back that up. So again, we're just saying, wow, this is a problem. It's a real problem. It's physical too. It's mental. And the physical pain, we thought this was pretty interesting. We now know that the same neural networks in our brain that process physical pain are also used to process social rejection. So what's so amazing is that Tylenol, which is common, actually removes these effects on our brain caused by feeling socially isolated. So just like we take Tylenol to get rid of a headache, we can also take Tylenol to relieve the anguish we experience from social separation and loss. So really what that shows us, as far as our brains are concerned, social pain is real physical pain. We just thought that was incredible. And, and some of the work that we do, we work with many seniors and it was true. A lot of seniors were taking Tylenol and finding that they were getting relief for an unnamed, uncomfortable feeling they had. But to your point, you asked us, what's the good news? How do yeah. we overcome loneliness? Right. And Tricia mentioned it earlier. It's really the practice of compassion. That's the best medicine for mm -hmm. overcoming loneliness. And the common misconception here is that people have about practicing compassion is that giving to others is a selfless act. But mm -hmm. a lot of the studies are showing that giving to others is actually a highly pleasurable act. I mean, it makes us feel good, right? It really is biologically better to give than to receive. And extending compassion is the best way to invest in our own health. Right and happiness. So we have to shift our frame of mind and we need to cultivate a more generous and giving attitude toward other people, knowing that the people that are going to benefit the most from this is us. Right. Which is kind of crazy. And as Doris said, really counterintuitive. 
So the question became, how do we make compassion not something we do just once in a while where we might volunteer twice a week or take a dinner to a friend, but how do we keep compassion at the forefront of our lives? And we actually become compassionate people all the time and we live that way. Again, that's sort of what we've been spending our past few years investigating and studying and talking to so many researchers and having lots of conversations with thought leaders and just people from all over. So what slowly came was this idea of how can we, okay, I'll just say Adora, kill two birds with one stone, right? <laughs> how can we become healthier, happier, living longer lives and building a stronger relationship, which in our mind then is building a stronger community and then ultimately a stronger world. So that's when co-mindfulness started kind of coming in our minds. And Thich Nhat Hanh is a Vietnamese monk that Dora and I love to quote. We love to study his work. And he has said, the most important person is always the person you are with who is right before you. The most important pursuit is making the person standing at your side happy for that alone is the pursuit of life. And we think that says it all, Mark, when we talk about co-mindfulness, we think it's all about staying present, listening to the people next to us. And our seven principles really tie into how do I stay present in this moment? The same tenets that we have for mindfulness, but now we've put it so that we can be in relationship with each other, which then hopefully helps us live longer and very happy lives. It's easy to see, Tricia and Doro, that you're not only good at this, let me take a stab at trying to tie a little <laughs> bit of this together. The importance of connection, the importance of community, and one pathway to that that we always talk about is passion. Finding your passion, yeah. because passion will lead to like-minded people. You guys found a passion in mindfulness and co-mindfulness and meditation, a passion in helping others. That's led you to plug into all of these experts that you hang out with that are really, really excited. And Doro, if I may, if I can dip back into the Bush family story sure. one more time and tell me if I'm pushing too hard. I've read your book. You know, I know the stories about the stress of being in a political family like yours and your brother, who is now but uh, 73, 73. My goodness. I am so inspired by his story. Maybe uh, 74. And, and I'll let Mark. you tell it. But let's, let's, <laughs> I think 74. He's 74. Maybe 74. He's definitely 74. <laughs> He's getting younger from what I can tell. Here's what I want you to talk about. But let me just take a little piece of it because I'm fascinated by later in life painting. I have a canvas at my home. I paint as often as I can. I'm self-taught. I wish I had the time for a teacher. But it's just such a release and a way to kind of be mindful in my own way. And after leaving the presidency, George Bush became a painter, just took it up. Doro, this is 43. Uh, it's got to be you. Is he painting you? <laughs> that is me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all started after he was the president and he started to send his girls doodles on an app on his iPad called Penultimate. So he got sort of into that, you know, just doing stick figures and all of that. And then someone had suggested he try drawing. And then he read Winston Churchill's book, Painting as a Pastime. And then he decided to give it a try. Prior to that, he had no interest in art <laughs> at all. And he'd never painted or drawn or done anything. He first took a course at the MoMA online, the Museum of Modern Art, which he really enjoyed. And then he has had several different teachers to help him. Now, all these years later, it's a passion. And it really is, Mark, his mindfulness practice. And like you're an artist, and I'm sure many of the people 
who are listening are artists and they'll understand this, that painting for him is a very mindful experience. And what I mean by that is the colors, the textures, the sounds of creating pull him into the moment. And using art as a meditation really means being willing to approach each painting with a beginner's mind. And that's a Buddhist expression that really means leaving our expectations behind and leaving our preconceived ideas behind about something and seeing it with fresh eyes, almost like a child would. Using painting as a meditation means approaching each painting with a kind of freedom and a sense of curiosity without any preconceived notions about the outcome. For him, that's what painting's all about. He's going to release his second book of paintings. He had a book in the last year called Portraits of Courage, where he painted veterans, wounded warriors. And then this new book is called One Out of Many, And it's portraits and stories of immigrants, which will remind us of the countless ways in which America has been strengthened by the individuals who've come here in search of a better life. So it's very cool. He's painted immigrants you will have heard of, like Henry Kissinger, and immigrants you wouldn't have heard of, but all immigrants who have come to America for a better life. And then he tells their stories, and he's gotten to know each and every one of them. So it's it's quite amazing. And you know, another lesson that I think we can all take from President Bush's example, and I hope you folks get this, as we get older, for most of us, it becomes difficult to, to take chances, to take risks, to expose ourselves to failure or embarrassment. Uh, this is a man who was the president of the United States, unafraid to take up something new, understanding there's going to be critics. I mean, Lord knows I would think he's had enough of criticism, as any politician would have, but yet he still wants to do it. He's unbothered by the fear, failure, or critique or anything. And that is really a key to successful and active aging. So kudos to him for doing that. And Tricia, sisters-in-law, you know, I I think we're we're blessed by our families in many different ways, but you guys have taken it to a whole new level. And it's easy to see that you guys are really good for one another. You are an example of what you talk about, the importance and power of true quality communication. Can you talk about relationship and what you guys get out of it? You know, again, being Dora's sister-in-law has been pretty exciting in the sense that when I met Doro, our husbands were brothers. So when I met her, you can imagine her father was president. And so I'm like, whoa, you know, all of a sudden (laughs) we get word that Danny's brother Bobby is dating the president of the United States daughter, you know? So that was exciting. And it sort of began from there. And Doro is amazing. She is an amazing person. She embodies compassion and she embodies kindness. So when you meet her and everybody, Doro and your family, they live from their heart. So when Doro came into the Cook family and I was married to Danny before Bobby and Doro got married, it was like two years before, all any kind of preconceived notions and all that stuff that was going on, which obviously is exciting. I got to know Doro and we became friends and then we ended up expecting our children together. So our kids are the same age. We have two boys, two girls, relatively the same age. They're all close. So we really kind of grew up together being moms. The kids went to the same schools. And in the mornings, Doro and I would hike and, you know, we would drop the kids off and we would go and hike before our work would begin. And I think shortly after Dora and I started, you know, we would do campaign work together. We would do her mother's foundation work together. 
Dora asked me to be part of her book about her dad, which was pretty exciting. So while all this really exciting stuff is going on, we are raising our family, you know, and we are living life like that, you know, the ups and the downs, the things that you go through when you have your family and you go through life. And so I feel so fortunate to have a sister-in-law like Doro, but and such a great friend. And the big bonus is obviously that she comes with this amazing family. Honest to God, Mark, like their family, their mom and dad <laughs> would be so <laughs> proud of them. You know, this summer, they're all together at the Kenny Bunkport and everybody has their home and they're all together and everybody gets along. Can I say something? I mean, I just okay? have to say something here. That was very kind. But <laughs> Trisha true. is the one that taught me all about mindfulness that really introduced me to the things that literally changed my life. Sorry, right, wait a minute. While you're catching yourself, I was going to add the same thing. I have been fortunate enough to spend a little bit of time with both of these women in person. And the humility that you both express is remarkable. And Tricia, it is obvious from the moment you meet you and hear you that yes. you bring something to the party. <laughs> no uh, and, kidding. And, and, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm pulled together now. And I can right. say that she literally has been there for me every step of the way. And her family is equally, <laughs> they may not be famous, but they're <laughs> equally as remarkable and as loving and as kind. And so I You're just lucky. had to say that. Thank you, Dora. Thanks. And again, you know, you feel really lucky when you have people in your life that you can share it with and the ups and the downs. And Dora and I have certainly had a lot of ups, of ups and, and downs and a lot of downs. Mm -hmm. But again, that's sort of what life's about, you know? Amen, sisters-in-law. <laughs> I do want to talk about co-mindfulnessproject.com. Guys, that has information to all of the projects that you have going on, including your award-winning podcast as well, right? Yeah, Health Gig. And we welcome everybody to listen to that. That's actually really fun because like this market's eclectic. We've got people from all over the place joining us on Health Gig, talking to us about how they perceive a healthy life should be. And Dora, we've had really fun guests, right? Yeah, we've had everyone from Reba McIntyre to <laughs> Kirk Cousins to <laughs> people in the wellness industry. Mark Middleton. Mark Middleton. <laughs> and a lot of great people. And they're wellness advocates as well as people who talk about their own personal wellness journeys. You guys have created original, important stuff, but you do have an ability because of not just who you are, but what you are to attract others. And that brings great value to hanging out with you. I mean, I looked online for the summit that you had recently and the former U.S. Surgeon General, and uh, you mentioned Dr. Mark Hyman and Dr. Royzen, on and on and on. I mean, you guys bring a who's who of thought leaders to the party. And, you know, that's a great compliment to you and a great benefit to anybody that follows you. But let me ask you guys this, because you've lived amazing lives, you're doing amazing things, you've learned from amazing people. Is there a broad strokes takeaway? Is there a moral to the story of life? I mean, if you could condense it down into one thing that you've learned that will help people age and live successfully, what might that be? I would just say love one another as you would like to be loved. I mean, it's so simple. Every religion talks about it. Every scientist tells you it's healthy to love each other. Tricia, what would you say? No, I think that's right too. And I love the message that you share is that it's not too late to ever begin something new, you know, and that sort of not only keeps us growing younger, right? But it also keeps life so exciting. And we really aren't here for that long. So every day is 
precious. And so the idea of being able to look at every day as a new opportunity and what you do, Mark, and your team does is pretty remarkable. And we love it. And it really inspires us to not stop learning. You're kind to say that. Let me throw a couple of quick questions out to you. Jackie asked, what do you suggest for someone getting started on meditation? An exercise like the one we did at the beginning today, every day, what's the ideal length to get started? Well, I would just say one of the easiest ways to get started is to get a meditation app because there are lots of ones that are free and you can start with a simple three-minute, five-minute guided meditation. Guided meditation uses visualization to help you stay in the present moment. And it's just the easiest way. And even easier than that is to just stop and pause throughout the day and take a few long, deep breaths. I do my meditation practice in the morning. Trisha does hers in the morning. Sometimes people like to do it in the evening. I mean, it just doesn't matter. Every Sunday night, we do a guided meditation. You could start there. It's Mm -hmm. free and it's different every Sunday. So I would just say, don't be afraid to start. And there's no mistakes in meditation. Passing on a note from Mary Ellis, uh, I love seeing the photos of President Bush painting and hearing the story of how he got started. I am 77 and have never painted anything in my life before six weeks ago. I know (laughs) President Bush got into it because it was something he wanted to do, but I'm guessing, Doro, it's not lost on him that by example, he's inspiring (laughs) others. A hundred percent. And it was the same with my dad when he jumped out of airplanes in his 90s. And I remember my dad, someone saying, why do you do that? (laughs) Because I want people to know that old guys can still do stuff. How old was he, Dora, when he jumped out and said, The last one was something like 92 or something. (laughs) And what was your mother saying? She said, this is going to be your last jump one way or the other. (laughs) Because he he lived to be able to say that it was his last jump. So that was good. Michael Kenneth says, please repeat the podcast name. It's called Health Gig. Someone asked earlier, Dora, about meditation and mindfulness. The thing that I try to remind myself all the time which immediately brings me to the here and now is gratitude. And I am so grateful that you guys took some time to share your message today. So thank you for that. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. To learn more on how to live a co-mindfulness life, visit comindfulnessproject.com.